I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Thursday, February 20, 2020. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. Pretty interesting day out here. I have a full page and a half full of notes. The only question is, how many times will I actually look over at the notes to give you everything I've got? That's a tongue-in-cheek deal. I'm going to give you everything I've got. There's a lot to discuss. There's a lot going on. We're going to take a look around the horn because a variety of different markets are saying a variety of different things. So we have to be able to interpret what's going on. That's how we read the tape. So today, what we're going to do is go through a plethora, I love that word, a plethora of charts in a variety of different markets, and we're going to have a healthy discussion about what's going on. On the daily chart, you see a big, long tail candle. That's the first thing that jumps off the chart when we look at the daily chart. So what do we make about the dip today? It was some kind of a little bitty flash crash. Now, these happen from time to time. The big one happened way back in 2010, so this is nothing of the sort, but it happened very, very quickly, and while we're on the topic, we might as well flip over to an intraday five-minute chart so you can see the magnitude of what happened and how fast it occurred. Now, the question is, what happened? Why did the market find the bottom where it did? Does any of this mean anything? Was it just an aberration? These are the things that we have to answer. We have to peel back the onion to try and figure this stuff out. So how do we treat it? What are we going to make out of that long tail or mini flash crash? From the daily chart perspective, we're not really going to make anything out of it. Why is that? Because the market is basically in the same place it was a couple of days ago. It didn't really go anywhere. The SPY was down less than one half of 1%. It's not a big deal one way or the other. It's just a down day. If we didn't have that long tail candle and it was down $1.47, nobody would make a big deal of it. So we have the big tail candle. We had the big intraday decline. Are we going to make anything out of it or not? Well, not on the daily chart, we're not. So let's go ahead and look at some other charts and we'll see what we can decipher from A, what happened, and whether or not we're going to make anything more out of it than what it is. When we take one step backwards and look at a 240-minute chart, what do we see? We see that now the market is above and remains above its 20-period moving average. Now, what did they do today? They came down to visit home base. Now, they didn't quite do it in normal garden variety fashion, but they hadn't been to home base since they broke out above home base all the way back here, which was on the 4th of February. It's all the way back, but everything is relative. We're looking at a 240-minute chart. They finish above the 20-period moving average, which makes it above all the moving averages. So at the end of the day, and it's how they close them that's important, Not necessarily how they trade them, but how they close them is most important. So when we look at the daily chart, technically there's nothing wrong with the market. When we look at the 240 chart, technically there's nothing wrong with the market. We're still making a chop shop, consolidation, bullish, flaggish type of pattern in this upper range near the highs on the chart. 
That's it. Period. Full stop. We do want to note the volume that did occur in that down candle today. So the volume here was about 40 million shares. And as compared to other volume on this chart, you can see it rivals the heaviest volume candle on the chart. So that's of note. That's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. There was volume there. So something was going on. And by the way, speaking of something going on, let's discuss for a second when stuff like this happens, anything that's out of the ordinary, it's always good for material what they're discussing on TV. So here's what I gleaned from it. They had no idea what happened, which is interesting. It's very similar to what happened in 2010. Ultimately, they did place blame on some kind of trade somewhere that sparked a waterfall decline in the market. But that's not the point. Forget about 2010. Let's talk about what happened today. There was volume today. So there was selling going on. What actually happened was there was no buyers that showed up. So on TV, they were looking for a reason. One guy says something having to do with interest rates hitting a low. Another one has to do with something else. It doesn't really make any difference. What we're going to show you in just a couple of minutes is how the technicals determined what happened in the market. What about the 120-minute chart? So we see something interesting on the 120-minute chart. Different than the 240 chart. So the 240, everything's above the moving averages. Everything's bullish. All of a sudden, you take a step down and you cut in half and you go to a 120 and we have below the 20 period moving average and a bearish wedgish pattern inside of a breakdown candle. So it looks different when you go to a different chart. That's why we look around the horn. We like to look at a variety of different charts. What else is on the board? Well, we came into the 50 period moving average. So from a technical perspective, we shouldn't be surprised that a 50 period moving average on a 120 minute chart that hasn't been visited in quite some time was supportive or in and around that zone when it got there. Here's another one and we do this quite a bit. We're going to look for an important area on the chart and we're going to say it's right about there. It's not to a penny. It's just right in a zone. Why? Because the market ran up to that point, sold off a little bit and then it jumped over it and now it came back to do what? Test that same area. Now, we don't know for sure that that area is going to be supportive when it is. What we use this stuff is for learning purposes. But when you put it together with the fact that there was a 50-period moving average there, other charts had other stuff going on at the time, we have important numbers on the board, you use everything in the toolbox. I'm just pointing out that this particular area, and we've done this before on different charts, different time frames. That's why I say it all the time, over and over and over again. All charts act and react the same way. Can we actually see what's going on on any particular chart at any particular time? Time is more important than price. If you can figure out which chart is on time, it's a home run. What do we see when we slice the market in half again and look at an hourly chart or 60-minute chart? We see something similar to the 120. We see a market that ran up into a convergence of moving averages inside of a big breakdown candle, and it basically stopped there. Now, if tomorrow we find the market jumping over these moving averages, which would also put it over the point in which the 120-minute chart had its moving average, then that would be obviously more bullish than the opposite type of behavior. 
But right now, what this chart is telling us, which is similar to the 120-minute chart, is this is a bearish, wedgish type of pattern that's developing. Now, under normal garden variety market conditions, you're going to get a continuation move to the downside. What takes that off the table? Getting above this breakdown candle, which also puts the market basically at the highs, but that's where we are in the chart. Again, you have to learn something from every single situation, every single day, almost every chart you can learn something from. Now, here's where we're going to learn something a little bit different. First, let me get the shitburger out of the way. Another shitburger occurred from Stocks on the Move, Viacom. It is what it is. I had the wrong number. It was a shitburger, not a big shitburger, just a shitburger, not a winning trade. I want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. There were other stuff on the good side. I needed to get the ugly out of the way. There was a Wix trade that worked out to the number, basically. And then there was stuff from the pre-market commentary all the way through to the end of the day. We had the schematic pretty much spot on. I'm going to run through the notes, let you start and stop the video whenever you want to, if you want to. Otherwise, you can skip all the way through. By the way, focus right down at the bottom. The second one comes in at ES 3353-334-69. Wasn't low a day, but we were watching as a just-in-caser. You have to be pre-prepared for whatever happens in the market. There was some good stuff. We're going to scroll up and let you read what happened as the market opened up. We had some early thoughts at 925. We're already thinking they're going to go fill the gap. That was gap number one. That was at 33.72. That's in the ES or the S&P futures contract. We know the resistance area. We cite it before the market opens. As you can see at 9.37, they run up to the resistance area. Let's keep moving along. 9.56, what's the next area of interest? The 20 period moving average. Not only am I giving you the numbers, I'm giving you in not only this case, but many other cases where I'm getting it from and why so you're able to learn how the market works. The 20 period moving average comes in at 33.89, which is also around a breakdown candle. Now, I'm looking at 100 different charts all at the same time. Sometimes I can't tell you exactly where that exists on what chart, so I'm looking at a screen that has eight different charts on it. Specifically, when the market's moving as fast as it was early on, we had the morning rush. Let's keep moving along. 10.07, here comes the aforementioned 33.89, it and slightly above should be overhead resistance on the first run. Always looking at all angles, both sides, waltz right on through, and it's a signal they're going for the big fat round number, but it should be resistance. Let's keep moving along. And as you'll see, and as you know if you watch the market, what happened was it became resistance, or it was resistance. The market fell away pretty quick, and obviously we couldn't have known what was going to happen happened, or better said, what happened was going to happen. Either way, it was resistance. Let's move it along. As we scroll up, we're citing the would-be support levels down below. At this point, we're focused, and you can see at 1107, 3384, and 3381. And this is at the point when they just fell out of bed. Let's scroll up. And already at 11.14, you can see, regardless of how long it takes, we're now already again focused on 33.72, which is the gap. So that's the bear case trading down to 33.72. And then just minutes later, you can see at 11.18, that was quick. There's your gap. 
So they start to get support at the gap and they start to bounce away. And then this is actually the point in which they just fell out of bed. So let me run through the rest and I want you to start and stop it at your leisure. You can read whatever you want to read. There's a couple of things, important things, that I want to point out on the chart. But as you can see, today was a very active day in terms of the notes. If there's a lot going on, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to put the notes on the board. As the market recovers, we begin focusing on another area up above, up north, 33.75. We'll discuss this further when we get to the charts. Moving on along. All the while, as the day is going on, I'm noticing a number of things in other markets that we're going to look at also, which are my favorite market leading indicators. We've got some canary in the coal mines going. It was definitely a day where you had to be able to read the language and understand the language of the market. As the afternoon goes along, the afternoon got relatively quiet. The market was getting some kind of a rising tide lifts all boats scenario going on. And we come into the end of the day. Now I want to take a look at some charts and I want to point out some important things. So there was a couple of themes going throughout the day. Here's a 15 minute chart. We're using the futures, but you'll notice that we use the SPY and the futures numbers when I can. The top line is 33.89. The market opened here today, rallied up to 33.89 fell out of bed. Now, obviously, we didn't know it was going to fall out of bed like this. We talked about 33.72 as a gap. Here's a three-minute chart. So it works for a few minutes at the gap and then falls out of bed. But that's not really the ultimate point. The point is really several points, if you will. Number one, when the market finally did find stability and began its rally off the bottom... As it turned out, that area was important, but not necessarily for that reason. You'll notice another number on the board, 3363. Now, what was said in the notes was, if we get above there and close hourly above that number, that's bullish, not bearish, and they'll start looking to the next area. What was the next area? We had it cited at 3375, and I'll show you the reason why in a moment. Now, look what happens. All of a sudden, we start getting to the end of an hour, and all of a sudden, the market gets to the end of the hour, and it closes above the number we were looking at earlier, and you can see in this candle, it ran a test of that number. Now, I'm watching numbers like a hawk. You know I eat, sleep, breathe, nothing but numbers. So once I saw that, that was a tip-off, at least from where I sit. Of course, they shimmy back down a little bit. Trick, trap, fool, and frustrate crew have to get involved. But if you go back to the commentary, we were then focused on 33.75. Now let's bring up a different chart. Here's an hourly chart. There's 33.75. Everything else is off the chart. There's a convergence of moving averages up there. Now you'll find that discussed in the notes as well. Now, during the day, the moving averages move because they're averages. So it was a little bit higher in the middle of the afternoon, maybe by a point or so, finishing out the day where they converged at about 33.74 and a half. So we were talking about 33.75, and you'll see what was the high of the day after the low was made. Well, why don't we go over and take a look? The high of the day in this candle was exactly 33.75. We were talking about that hours earlier now there's a method to the madness so stay with me on this you're looking at the commentary and you're saying hey i want to take a trade to see if i can take it up 
to the moving averages. I want to use the 33.63 area as my support, and I want to use my 33.75 or thereabouts as my target. Now, if you're looking at the hourly chart like this one, the market simply just grinded up there and it finally got to 33.75. But what if you're not looking at an hourly chart? What if you're looking at something else? What if you're looking at a five-minute chart or a two- or a three-minute chart? I know a lot of you look at short-term charts. What happens is you watch two things when you're in a trade. You're watching a short-term chart that has more magnified moves because there's less activity inside each candle, meaning less time. So the moves are magnified. Secondly, you're watching the money go up and down. You're watching both things, and you end up getting scared out of the trade more often than not. I know what I'm talking about. Those of you that know what I'm talking about are shaking your head. But if you're looking at a chart like this and you know where your support is, you know where you're wrong, you know where the target is, you need time. Time is more important than price. In this case, price is important because it has to stay above a price for the trade to work out. But the point is, you need time to let it work. The market's going to ebb and flow. It goes back and forth. For every buyer, there's a seller. For every seller, there's a buyer. Somebody thinks it's right. Somebody else thinks it's wrong. That's what makes a market. And by the way, here's a short hop. I want to get back to something. Let's get back to the little tiny flash crash we had earlier today. Let's get back to where the market really is on the charts. We're at the highs. We know we're climbing the wall of worry. We need to be real about the situation. We're all aware, or we should be aware, that at some point in time, one of those little flash crashes is going to turn into a really, really big flash crash. Or it's going to turn into a really, really big intraday or multi-day decline that takes everybody by surprise. We all know that's coming. The question is, when's it coming? We don't know exactly when it's coming. We try and pinpoint time frames. We use the square root thing. We had that for a while, worked out until it didn't. I'm always working on an area or a time frame where I think a low or a high could come in if the chart is at an extreme. We're obviously at an extreme, not necessarily today, just generally speaking. And I want to get back to something that we discussed a few weeks ago. We talked about March of 2000, and we also talked about March of 2009. Now, March of 2000 was a very, very important top in the market that lasted for a very, very long time. March of 2009 is a very, very important low that has lasted for a very, very long, important time, was in fact a generational low in the market. Now, here we are, more than a decade removed from that low. We're coming up to March of 2020. Now, I don't know if there's a significance to March of 2020 other than the fact that I can't help but notice March of 2000 and March of 2009 were very important. We happen to be, relatively speaking, at an extreme in the market. We know we're climbing the wall of worry. And even today, we see evidence that the slightest thing can cause a vacuum in the market. So it's an awareness thing. Wanted to bring it back around. It's spring training. You can never get too much practice. What's going on over in Camp IWM? This is one of those very, very interesting things that I was watching like a hawk all day long. The IWM certainly had its version of that mini flash crash, but what's interesting is where we finished the day. We finished the day in the green in the IWM. 
And that's not the only thing that finished in the green. It's interesting. It's of note. It's definitely a puzzle piece. It's on the table. Technically speaking, you have a lower high. However, it's working its way above those moving averages to challenge the former high. Until and unless you get below the moving averages, and we'll know before then, but from the daily chart perspective, until and unless you get below that, there's nothing wrong with this chart and they're trying to grind it higher. You have to note the intraday activity, the recovery in the IWM from its little flash crash, and finishing the day in the green. You have to make note of it. It's interesting. It's important. It's on the table. And then you go over to the transportation department and you say, wait a minute. They're up almost 90 points on the day above all those moving averages, closed above that breakdown candle we talked about yesterday. And what do we always say? It's my second favorite market leading indicator, but my number one canary in the coal mine. Again, I couldn't help but notice this all day long. So what this is, is a set of divergences. With divergences, one of two things happens. They're going to self-correct. Either the S&P was a one-day wonder and it's going to continue higher and these were the tell, or these are going to catch up on the downside and the S&P is right and we're going lower. Either way, we'll know in short order. Right now, I go with my canary in the coal mine and my number one and two favorite market leading indicators and I say I can't help but notice they were up, we had an intraday recovery, we finished near the highs in the S&P after that flash crash. They put on the rescue operation. These are all things that factor into where are we on the chart. Is there anything really wrong on the daily chart? No, not yet. The other side is this could be another lower high scenario, but we have to look at where we are at present. We're above the moving averages. We have to look at the activity of the market and what it was telling us we have to learn to read the tape. We definitely have divergences. We definitely have some charts pointing lower and some charts not. What do we have in the queues? Well, the queues are in a world of their own for the most part. They came down with everything else, but they're so high on the chart, they didn't even come close to the moving average, the 20 period moving average, what we like to call home base. What do we see when we look at a 240 minute chart in the queues? We see the market that came into the 20 period moving average back to test a former breakout area. Where is that? And they went lower than that, but here it was, somewhere in there. It's debatable where you want to draw the line, but that is the breakout area. They broke out, they came back, 20 period moving average, and where did they finish the day? Right about inside or at the northern end of what? That breakout area. That's the way I see it. That's what I see when this chart pops up on the screen. You're inside my head. That was live TV. I didn't even see a 240 Qs chart all day long. A hardly look at the Qs ever. Price, yes. Movement, yes. Intraday charts, not so much. Nothing wrong with them. I just can't look at everything. What's going on in the financial community? We're still above that number, $30.98. We're teetering on it, but we're still above it. Is there anything wrong with this chart? Why weren't the financials down today when everything else was down? They took a bleep, but that was about it. It's interesting. Here's another puzzle piece. Put it on the table. Without the financials, there's nothing wrong with the market. Meaning, if the financials aren't cracking, if they're not scaling down, if they're not selling off, I can say it 10 more ways. If they're not declining, there's nothing wrong with the market. It's unlikely the major indices are going to fall out of bed. That's just the way the market works. And certainly using the 80-20 rule, 
80% of the time or more. Unless the financials are selling, you're not going to get much selling. What about good old Smash Mouth, the SMH, which is the proxy for the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index? Now, it was down a lot today, almost 2%. It's up a lot also. They filled a gap, but they remain above all the moving averages. Here's what we'll say about the SMH. It was down pretty big, and that's a pretty good indicator, or this index is a pretty good indicator for the tech space as a whole. So that has to be a puzzle piece, and it has to be on the table. You can't just brush it off because something else suits your story. You have to look at everything. You're the umpire calling balls and strikes. It's bullish above all the moving averages. It's in an uptrend. There's technically nothing wrong with the daily chart. You're near the highs. That's one thing. If you find it back down at the gap that was filled today, that's something different. It's likely that there's something else going on on the bearish camp, not the bullish camp. They don't really need to check in at the gap twice. They had a pretty good rally away from the gap. They really don't need to check back in. Here's the gap on an intraday 15-minute chart. Pretty swift move away with a couple of back tests. If they're bullish, they'll get over the moving averages. If they're not, we'll know it when we wake up in the morning anyway. How's gold doing? We haven't talked about gold for a while. I don't talk about gold much because I basically had a stance. I said a number of times over a number of months... Gold is in a long-term breakout. So this also begs the question, why? Is it the fear trade? Is something brewing? Are the gold buyers privy to something else? Well, that's likely the case, but we don't know when, right? But they're certainly buying gold. But there could be other reasons. You have a ton of central bank participation around the globe. Remember Repo Man. That's central bank participation. They're pumping money around the markets. China's doing it now. They started doing it on the front end of the whole coronavirus deal. And if you've been around for a long time like I have, the last time this happened, central banks pumping money into the market, gold going up like there's no tomorrow, the market rising, it's called asset inflation. But if you date back the clock, kind of pre and during the financial crisis, the dollar was getting crushed. Today, that's not the case. Today, the dollar is basically at par. Par being 100 cents on the dollar. By the way, make no mistake about it, this was on a long-term breakout. It's on the videotape. We talked about this months and months and months ago. In fact, the chart looks different now than it did then because of time, but I believe this was the back test in December. No, it had to be before that. I think if you go back to the videos, I think I thought this was a low, and then it actually made another low, but then has obviously taken off ever since. Either way, I apologize for not remembering exactly. I got numbers running through my head. But the point is about the dollar. Why is the dollar rallying along with gold, along with everything else, when the opposite happened before? Well, there's a couple of comments on that. I don't link markets together for this exact reason because they're not linked together. Sometimes they're correlated, other times they're not. Sometimes we look for a correlation and it exists, and then we think that that correlation will hold true indefinitely, but that's not the case. It's a correlation out of convenience and time, and then the media makes something of it, and we think it's a real correlation. That's not really the case. It's a hard concept to wrap your head around, but that's the way it is. So how do you explain the rise in the dollar, the rise in gold, the rise in stocks, all that stuff? Well, one way to explain it is 
the central bank participation with asset inflation, the rise in the dollar, the only way I can explain it is the dollar is the best house in a bad neighborhood. What does that mean? Look at all the other currencies. The euro, the pound, who knows, with Brexit. You have the Australian dollar, you have the Canadian dollar, you have the yuan. If you're going to park money somewhere and it has to be in a currency, which one do you want? Right now, it's this one. Here's a 10-year treasury note chart. You can see where treasuries are on the chart. Get a better sense on the weekly chart, now coming back up to challenge the old highs. What does this mean? If you flip it around, interest rates are very, very low. Why are interest rates low and bond prices are high? Because there are bond buyers. If you're buying bonds, you're looking for safety. That's just the conventional wisdom. That's the best way to explain it. I'm just using the 10-year as an example. If you're buying bonds and short-term paper, driving the dollar up, you're buying short-term bonds, you're buying 90-day notes, you're buying short stuff. That's not the point. The point is, if you're buying bonds, you're driving the price of bonds up, the yields lower, who's buying bonds, why are they buying bonds? It's a conversation for another day, but it explains the dollar. Let's flip it around. Here's the 10-year yield. Same weekly chart. Why are we at the lows in yield and making a bearish pattern? This goes back to, we all know about the wall of worry in the stock market. We look around the horn. We look for evidence of what's really going on. And something is obviously disconnected from reality. Hence, Repo Man will reemerge at some point. And maybe along with a bunch of other stuff, but I haven't forgotten about Repo Man. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you and without you that these videos are not possible? I think this is a pretty good place to pull the ripcord for today. It's everything that I wanted to and intended to discuss, so I will give it a wrap. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.